Hello and welcome to Eyewitness Beauty, the podcast where we talk about the biggest stories in the beauty industry each week. I'm Nick Axelrod. Welcome. Come to Eyewitness Beauty. And I'm <laughs> Annie Kriegbaum. Annie, even though we didn't see each other in New York where I was for two weeks because you couldn't come up, I felt closer to you and now I feel further from you. I couldn't come up because I was disinvited? You weren't disinvited. Well, I felt a little like, I, you know, I was packing my little like, I was like, what dress am I going to wear to meet Evie? What is she going to want to cuddle? Evie. Damn it. <laughs> Listen, I know her name's Evie. I think it in my head, but then when it comes out, it's the hard E. It's just like my last name. Yeah. Creek Bomb, Annie. Yeah. Sorry. No, I get it. I get it. I get it. But you didn't come. It's fine. No, but I'm then you were it. like, well, come this weekend. And then you were like, change of plans. I'm going back to LA. Can't stand it over here. Oh, that is true. All of which is to say, we flew back to LA on. Tuesday, we got the clearance from our pediatrician that Evie had regained her birth weight. And so we hopped a plane to LAX with a wish. What is that? I want to quote Miley Cyrus. A dream in a cardigan. There was We're definitely here. A We're cardigan. queer. We have a baby. Get used to it. Shout out to Evie, who cried a total of probably three minutes for a six hour flight plus three hours delayed on the ground. And shout out to our night nurse. Nydia, who started last night. Casey and I got our first full night's sleep. <sighs> Shout out to Benadryl. When you don't have sleeping pills, take Benadryl. How are the pups doing? How's Radish and Neil? Oh, great question. So Radish and Neil, you know, there was a lot of anxiety around. Radish and Neil, for those readers who don't know, are, are two six-pound toy poodles. We were nervous to introduce them to Evie. Like, what would they think? What would she think? It was obviously going to be a huge change in their lifestyle. And of course, Radish was the angel that she always is and like sniffed around and then just like curled up next to her. And Neil was super sweet, but like doesn't know his own strength or like physically like he's a clumsy boy. And so he just was trying to like kiss her. But then like the door rang and he like wanted to like run over her. So he's not being aggressive, but he just we have to be a little bit more watchful with him. The thing is, is like when the baby cries, the dogs get so freaked out. Like they think someone is like in distress. So like they're just like, like they're like whining and barking and like what's going on? Like how do we help? And it's like, no, it's fine. But speaking of which, I didn't believe the hype about the snoo. The snoo is fucking real. Tell people that don't know what the snoo is, what the snoo is. So the snoo is a contraption developed by a pediatrician named Dr. Harvey Karp who is sort of like this generation's Dr. Spock. For those who may remember, Dr. Spock had like the Bible on baby rearing in the 80s and 90s. Our parents raised us on Dr. Spock's advice. And Dr. Karp is sort of the new the new version of that. He developed this mechanical bassinet that attaches to your Wi-Fi and is sensitive to sound and movement and you basically swaddle your baby in these snoo swaddles that zip up. They're like little straight jackets, but babies love them, allegedly. And you clip the baby in to this like straight jacket and then you activate the snoo and it starts like making the baby swing from side to side. And if the baby gets fussy or gets like the volume of the baby or the movement of the baby increases, the snoo will increase it's white noise volume and it's movement intensity. And it like soothes babies in a crazy way. So literally yesterday, Evie was like screaming. She doesn't, she's a really good baby. She hasn't really screamed, but we put her in the snoo and within like three seconds, she was like completely lulled. It's crazy. And amazing. A chase, the, the hairstylist who popped on my radar when he did Jared Leto's he hates me. long tresses. He, do you remember this? Yes. Because you could, yes, I do vaguely. He did Jared Leto's hair and you know what? Send me another mean email, be angry, get it out. Just kidding. I'm sure, <laughs> I'm sure something weird. I'm what, sure. did, what happened okay, between so you and he him? Did, he did. His name is Chase Cusero. He was Jared Leto's hairstylist. He's also one of the co-founders of IGK hair oh really anyway, that's so continue. funny he yeah. so he did his hair for some award show and 
it was when we were like at into the gloss and we were doing this these kind of stories and so you connected me with him i like did a quick like you know 10 minute interview to ask him tell me what you did and you know we transcribed the interview word for word and like do like a you know a, an edit for clarity but don't change what the people said and he did say like one of the challenges is to make him not look like a woman like in reference that his hair is beautiful his beautiful hair beautiful coloring he got like a straight up like blowout with beach waves I don't think that that's an offensive thing to say. But it, it struck, it hit a nerve. And he was like, I never said such a thing. <laughs> Take it out. Like, so I wonder if he oh, like shit. got like a tag or I don't know, like, but it, I don't know. But it, it, I guess maybe there was some sensitivity around his hairstylist being kind of well known at that moment. That's funny. Maybe Jared wanted everyone to think that he just rolled out of bed like that. Maybe. Like. But Chase, but so Chase and I became friends. You obviously became enemies from that experience. And he, I was talking to him because he just had a baby girl. And <laughs> Wait, is that when you guys became friends? Did, did you have a side conversation like, "Oh, Andy, that idiot"? No, I just remember. Sorry, like we that, just that. hired her. <laughs> no, that's like... when we. That's when we first connected. Like, over, like when we were doing stuff with him about. Jared's and he made hair. my life miserable. And then you guys became friends. After I didn't know this oh, whole like side. I didn't know about this whole psychodrama <laughs> that was going on like on the sidelines. <laughs> anyway, Chase and I are best friends, and we're we were on the phone. We were FaceTiming the other week. And he was like, this new is literally a life-changing device and you must use it. My baby, like we have to wake her to feed her because she loves the snoo so much. So anyway. I put my client Jared in the snoo, calms him down. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, what's funny is that like you kind of wonder why there isn't an adult version of the snoo. Dr. Harvey Karp has the technology. Maybe we can strike a deal. More on that in a future episode Actually, because we are going to talk to Dr. Carp about the snoo and infant sleep and parent sleep. Are you going to get Dr. Spock? I don't know if Dr. Spock is still with us, but let's, can we find out quickly with the magic of audio editing? The Dr. Spock that I am talking about was Dr. Benjamin Spock, who died in March of 1998. He died at the ripe age of 94, and he wrote these best-selling books and... Dr. Spock's Baby and Child Care. It was actually first published in 1946, and it sold more than 50 million copies in 42 languages. Wow! Um, he he was like I, the, want, he I was would a love legend. to see I would love to see some of the tips from that first edition. They're probably like bathe your baby in cottage cheese to prevent you know chafing or something. Swaddle the child at your <laughs> breast while you churn the butter. And <laughs> It'd be like, have a glass of white wine to help stimulate lactation. <laughs> anyway. Um, Blow the smoke directly in the child's face. <laughs> to get them used to, to secondhand smoke. Um, anyway, let's do top stories. Okay. We're going to start top stories with an apology, which is that this news actually came out last week, but it didn't make the cut. So we're starting, it's at the top of our news hour this week, a... New collaboration in from Elf Cosmetics with who, Annie? Everyone's like formerly favorite fast casual restaurant, Chipotle. Chipotle. You know, they charge extra for guac. And in fact, they actually have an extra guac face sponge set for $10, which is a two-piece sponge set, including an avocado sponge with angled and rounded sides and a mini pit sponge for those hard-to-reach areas. There's a makeup bag. There is Make It Hot Lip Gloss, a fiery hot plumping lip gloss infused with whatever, who cares. It launched this week. I don't know. And we did get a bunch of people writing in, sending screenshots. Like, I hope you guys are covering this. Even some tweets. I think the biggest news about this story is it's not the first Chipotle collaboration <laughs> that they've done together. <laughs> like, that's insane. Where was this energy for the first one? I don't know. I mean, I think we've all been in our like apartments, you know? So it's like, we're just like, give us anything that's fun and we'll take it. But they were inspired with the palette, at least. There's a really good Instagram where they basically take the like dishes in the Chipotle bar and they show you how they took like the color of lettuce and the color of guacamole and the color of the mild salsa and the color of the corn salsa and turned it into an eyeshadow palette. I'm just, this just gives me anxiety. It's like stuff nobody needs. 
I'm sorry. I know I'm not fun. But here's what, can I just say one thing? That the tortilla chips at Chipotle are so good. I know. Remember, we used to be above a Chipotle. Yes, that was dangerous. That was really dangerous. They have some sort of weird, like, saline solution sprayed over them that is like a hint of lime. Yep. Anyway. So for all of our injectable heads out there, this is going to be a very exciting development. There is now the first FDA-approved cellulite-dissolving injection called Quo. It's Q-W-O, so I think that's probably how you pronounce it, Quo, which is a treatment for not, like, apparently, like, really intense cellulite. It says it's not supposed to treat skin laxity or large pockets of fat, but it will eliminate certain levels of skin dimpling. I don't really understand. I bet this doesn't work that well. It sounds like a pretty new technology. We all know what like FDA approved means versus like this is an effective treatment, right? Like FDA approved just means like the FDA has, has agreed that it won't kill you. But there's a Forbes article about this. The reason this is news is they announced it last November that they were like coming out with this thing. It's now available as of spring 2021, which we are in right now. It says that more research is needed to determine how long the results will last and how it compares to other treatments that people currently use for cellulite, none of which I think are very promising. Weren't they using like lobster essence in some creams and like bullshit like that? I mean, I know caffeine is a really popular one. I think like really what the most effective that I've seen and but the thing is it's it's temporary is just massage just to break up the fat and kind of make the skin swell and bring like water and fluid to the surface and it reduces the appearance of cellulite temporarily but other than that it's like that is the structure of your tissue there like it's not and everyone has doesn't everyone have everyone has it like what's the big deal yeah I hope that cellulite kind of reaches the same point as stretch marks like in our fucked up society i think stretch marks are now this like cute thing like brands are like you don't see them photoshopping it out anymore like stretch marks are now fashionable let's like just all agree that like everyone has cellulite but with this quo injectables thing they basically did a study their phase two study which was a study of 375 adult women the Quo group, because they had like a, the tester group and then like the control group, as if you remember from junior high, yes. received 12 injections, 21 days apart. And then they had the, the placebo group. Wouldn't it suck to be like getting 12 injections every 21 And it's just water. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you're in this placebo. But the funniest part was at the end of the study, 45% of patients who received the Quo injectable compared to 18% of the placebo group had an improvement. I mean, I think with a lot of aesthetics in my, not my, well, actually my experience and also my like perception is that the science is evolving and there's not like, you know, Kybella, which is like fat dissolving. Like, it's not like you're going to wake up and all of a sudden, like some fat you have around your jaw will be like completely gone and you're going to look like Henry Cavill. Like, it's all very, very subtle. Like the changes, like the the lasers they're all pretty subtle i haven't really on myself at least i haven't seen like a very dramatic change at all anyway yeah so let's watch this space i wouldn't suggest anyone go out and get quo shots Ooh. i don't think pr people should start hosting quo parties quite yet let's just let's just sit on it <laughs> let's let's see yeah if we literally can, just yeah. sit and nobody will <laughs> notice your cellulite colgate just launched a millennial toothpaste or I would probably say tooth care brand called Co by Colgate. It looks remarkably similar to a brand both you and I are very familiar with. They launched with the photograph of a pink bristled toothbrush with purple text that says good vibes only. Is it like a vibrating tooth? Oh, yeah. Yeah. It's an electric toothbrush. That's okay. Okay. Yeah. It's basically, they were like, you know what the millennials need? They need toothpaste with emojis and the gradient pastel branding. It kind of looks like the branding of like every like CBD, like drink, canned drink brand. Yeah. So in the collection, they have enzyme powered whitening toothpaste. They have an ultra soft TLC toothbrush. They have It's Lit, <laughs> Teeth Whitening Wand. <laughs> they have Later Stains, Foaming Anti-Stain Mouth Rinse. 
And then they have these toothpaste tabs, which are like the... The bite soda. tabs, yeah. The bite tabs, yeah. Actually, I follow the founder of Bite, which you've hyped on the podcast before. Yeah, I love on it. On LinkedIn and Twitter. But he had this post where he was referencing Colgate's new launch, and he was like, what's the saying? He's like, first they laugh at you. Or first they ignore you, then they laugh at you. Then they rip you off. <laughs> you know, you <laughs> yeah, I mean, I mean, it's funny that it's taken this long for a uh, giant you know, corporation like Colgate to enter this category, like the sort of millennial TikTok generation tooth care business, because they also have one of those very Instagram friendly, rechargeable teeth whitening machines that like you can buy on like Smile Direct Club and all those direct to consumer brands. And it seems a little late that they would try to get in on the game because they obviously have the wholesale footprint to blow the competition out of the water. So it must have just been stuck in approvals and, you know, branding and rebranding meetings for years, right? I do like the bite toothpaste tablets. I will say I was suspicious of They're a great. solid toothpaste. Very into it, very into the sustainability side of that. But, you know, otherwise, like, what's wrong with the classic Arm & Hammer healthy gums? I love the baking soda toothpaste combo. It's such a fresh feeling. I can't use anything else. It tastes like candy to me now. And um, crust white strips, I'm telling you. Everybody's like, how do you get your teeth so white? Crust white strips. There you go. They're like $30. And you don't even need to, like, use the whole thing. You just, if your teeth are, like, mine right now are looking a little yellow, cool. I'll leave one on for a little too long, and they'll be fine. Annie, have you been following the brouhaha over the new Teen Vogue editor-in-chief's past racist tweets? I didn't know Teen Vogue had a new editor-in-chief. First of all, Teen Vogue still exists. It's no longer a print publication, they, right? Am I making this up? They were like one of the most like lauded editorial outlets from Condé Nast. They had Elaine Welteroth. And Phil Picardi. Phil Picardi. Basically, yeah. They basically like reinvented Teen Vogue for the Trump age uh, as like a bastion of inclusivity, sort of pushing boundaries in terms of sex and sexuality, discussions. Being aware of what's going on in the world around you yeah. beyond just like, I think a lot of teen content up until this point has been very much like, what can you do at the mall and what's going on at the lockers between classes, you know? Yeah. So the former editor-in-chief who replaced Phil Picardi was named Lindsay Peoples-Wagner. She was just hired by New York Magazine to be the Cuts new editor-in-chief. And to replace her, Teen Vogue hired a woman by the name of Alexi McCammond, who comes from Axios. She was a political reporter at Axios. She actually was in a scandal herself when she was at Axios. She began a relationship with one of the deputy communications people in the Biden campaign. This sounds it, like a Aaron Sorkin script. It's true. So her boyfriend was forced to resign as the deputy press secretary. Her boyfriend is named TJ Ducklow. He also made threats and derogatory comments to a reporter who was, uh, I guess, threatening to expose their relationship. And that isn't even what people are worried or concerned about when it comes to Alexi McCammond. It's actually these tweets that she wrote in 2011 when she was in college. And she says really nasty things about Asian people and sort of stereotypical jabs at, quote unquote, swollen Asian eyes. It's pretty despicable. And I think what is notable in this Story is, number one, why Condé Nast at this point, a beleaguered publishing once empire, now sort of string of magazines, would hire someone who notably has a complicated and controversial past. These tweets were first exposed and she already apologized for them in 2019. So this was already on the table, but they still hired her. Teen Vogue, after people started freaking out, rightly so, about these racist tweets in her past, Teen Vogue issued a statement being like, she's taken accountability and we're looking forward to like embracing all types and people. And a bunch of specifically Asian editors and media people were like, this is bullshit. This is not enough. You know, anti-Asian hate and violence has been spiking in recent months. And the idea that you could just sort of say, I'm sorry, and move on from making some pretty 
shocking and upsetting comments doesn't really feel sensitive to the times we're living in. Teen Vogue, I mean, with just the brand that they've worked so hard to build over the past several years, it just seems weird to me that they would take such a hard turn by naming this woman as like editor-in-chief when they knew that like this was an issue. If I had to guess what Condé Nast was thinking, uh, McCammon is black and I bet they were thinking, oh, okay, like we're going to hire a really accomplished woman who is also black and who represents like a perspective that we have been pressured to increase in all of our magazines, hiring and reporting. So they probably thought that they were doing something good, but it just shows you how, in a lot of ways, like backwards and behind the times, you know, Condé Nast is. I hate to say that because it sounds pretty condemning, but it's kind of true. And why are we talking about this? Did you mention the Ulta deal? I did not. (laughs) (laughs) It's interesting to see now how the fallout of these situations kind of has like a domino effect Ulta, who is a huge advertiser with Teen Vogue, pulled a seven-figure ad deal from the publication over this reemergence of this news of her old tweets. They're the only advertiser so far that has taken action from the Daily Beast on this. Ulta says, diversity and inclusion are core values at Ulta Beauty and always have been. Our current spend with Teen Vogue is paused as we work with Condé Nast to evaluate the situation and determine next steps regarding our partnership. It just sucks that, you know, it will have taken advertisers taking a stand for Condé Nast to take a stand. Um, well, I meaning- think, too, I mean, this is this Daily Beast article points out, rightfully so, that like Ulta has like kind of a checkered past in terms of being accused of racial profiling and lack of diversity. I guess this is a to be continued because Condé, it's your move. In other sort of diversity news, Estee Lauder created a new division to oversee. I I like the way that this, that Bloomberg positioned this article, which we are referring to. It was that Estee Lauder created a new division to oversee diversity promises. So way back when, when we launched this podcast, we talked to Sharon Shooter, who started the pull up or change movement and is also the founder of Wilma Beauty. And she was saying, yeah, it's great that all these beauty companies are saying that they're going to do better and yada, yada, yada. But like, let's see what happens. Let's see it. And Lauder is now sort of creating an internal division to sort of hold themselves accountable. And they've hired a woman by the name of Nicole Monson, who is a labor attorney. And she worked at Goldman Sachs. She worked at an industrial equipment maker called Ingersoll Rand to oversee the effort. Estee Lauder has 25 brands. Remember, that actually is interesting for our conversation last week. And they have a 48,000 person strong workforce. So that's a lot of people to bring with you in your efforts to diversify and represent and do everything that you said you were going to do. One of the biggest like indicators of their success on fulfilling their promises is they've committed to increase their black employment to population parity by 2025. So I am sure this will be a developing story that we will be updating on in yeah. 2025 when we will still be doing this <laughs> podcast. Exactly. <laughs> okay, this is kind of like our conglomerate section of the top stories. Unilever. A little, a little brand called Unilever made a news blast this week that they are removing the word, quote unquote, normal from all of their beauty products. And it's a little puzzling to me. I'm like holding my eyes because that means they're taking away like normal to dry skin or for normal skin or for normal hair. All of that um, will be removed from upwards of 200 products within a year. And they're doing that because they feel that using the word normal makes people, quote, feel excluded, which is probably true. I just think that we're kind of dancing around the problem. The problem, you know, is not the word normal to dry skin or normal to oily skin. It's representation, inclusion, activism, all that. But I guess it's a step. I mean, I think the one thing is like we kind of have to find terms that will indicate whether a product is appropriate for your skin type? Yeah, I think like at the very least, using a descriptor as normal is just not helpful. Yeah. (laughs) Like when shopping, it's like, what is normal skin? I would say 
normal is neither being oily nor dry would put you in the quote unquote normal category. So like, yeah, I don't have either one of those things. So if I was shopping, I'd be like, okay, I guess I'll take normal. I wouldn't mm-hmm. say like, I would, it wouldn't be a point of validation, but mm-hmm. I could understand for people who don't identify with that spectrum yeah, for like it to I feel mean, like a slap. This came up with um, one of my colleagues this week was we were researching ingredients and quote unquote brightening, which I feel like it's just a euphemism for lightening, right? Yeah. Um, ingredients. And the question was, is the term itself lightening problematic? And again, all of this is caveated with I am the normal quote here, yeah. right? Like I can't speak from my own personal experience. I can speak to the literal function of a specific ingredient in this context. That helps with like hyperpigmentation or something Exactly, like that. a dark spot. I feel if you are just trying to give baseline facts about those ingredients, to say lightening over brightening is more literal of what this does. I understand though that like in terms of, okay, now let's like market this or like make this content, for instance, something that will now like reach people, you have to take in context the loadedness of certain words. But at the same time, I'm like, well, but isn't it kind of bullshit that like these like overall like skin, quote unquote, brightening creams are marketed to certain people to like overall lighten a skin tone versus lightening a dark spot? Yeah, we're reaching a point in the beauty industry where we're kind of stripping away all of the historically validated terminology and, you know, marketing angles and all this stuff. And from that, something will have to come, which is like a new scale, a new way of evaluating things that aren't based on white supremacy. Robin Rihanna Fenty has trademarked... Rihanna. Rihanna, Rihanna, Rihanna. Rihanna Fenty has trademarked Fenty hair. So she conquered beauty with Fenty Beauty. Then she did skin with our friend Sean Garrett. And now we got Fenty hair. My sort of question and thought is who's going to be the ambassador? Who are the hair fluencers who... I know who. I think I know who. And I've been like DMing him like crazy to come on the podcast and he doesn't know who I am. That's a fun guessing game of like who and also what the lineup will be. Will she start with super foundational products like she did with skin? Edge control. I've heard that there's no good edge controls. Okay, well, we'll watch this space. Because it's like there's a million products for like, (laughs) quote unquote, normal hair. And this is me like speaking as if I'm like a backwards marketing person. But people with hair types like Rihanna's have been underserved. So I'm excited. I'm glad that she is no longer coming for (laughs) categories that like... That you're currently (laughs) (laughs) investing in. I will also say, where's the album? She hates it when you ask that. I know. But can I ask you, where's the album, Annie? Look, I... It's what we need. Anti-deluxe has been... I can't even listen to it anymore because it's like the food that you eat too much and it just makes you sick to your stomach. Look, her and ASAP are hanging out. She's just trying to be happy. Leave her alone. And she's building an empire. Okay. Don't feel bad if you hate Zooming with your coworkers because a new study has come out. Researchers say that seeing the large faces in Zoom meetings can trigger your flight or fight response. And this is coming straight from Stanford. So Zoom calls can actually be more exhausting than I think a lot of people like to think. Like, oh, we're at Because, home. like, seeing someone's face that big? Yeah, and, like, for that prolonged period of time. Like, think about if you're ever in a meeting with someone. What's the percentage of time that you're actually staring at their face? <laughs> like, I mean, I had a call the other day. Maybe I should take this personally. A Zoom where, like, I was on video and the other person was <laughs> they had their camera off. And I was like, cool, cool. I don't know. Zoom etiquette hopefully will be a nice little punchline in a few years. Well, with that, can we get off of Zoom? I'm so sick of looking at you. It's making me anxious. Stop. Okay. So why don't we get to the interview? I'm like really excited about this one and you actually haven't heard it. No, I was flying with my babe, so 
my babes. So you took this one solo, but I love Katie Jane Hughes and I'm a huge fan. And she's like the Instagram makeup goddess. Yeah. So mom, let me tell you about Katie Jane Hughes. Cause I feel like you're the only person listening that might not know who she is. She's basically a makeup artist, like a working makeup artist. She's not just like a YouTube personality, Instagram, like influencer type. However, she quickly grew her following on Instagram, like very, very quickly. I think when I first met her, she had a few thousand followers and now she's up to what, like 700, 600, something thousand. And she was kind of this breath of fresh air on Instagram when at the time everybody was doing very heavy matte lots of foundation, lots of powder, lots of contour, lots of this and that, which you still see. But she kind of offered this alternative look, which we talk about a lot in our interview, where she's very like, you know, the reason I reached out to her initially was because she represented this like skin first, but yet mixed with glam, colorful makeup. She's having fun with makeup and she's having fun with eyes and lips and like, but it's and she's not, not like filtering full, her photos. Yeah. You can see her, she has fine lines. You can see her pores like all of us do. Like she's just, and she's just such a delightful, delightful person. And I had so much fun talking with her. I wish you could come on the show. Like no offense, Nick, but <laughs> all the time. Okay. You don't wear color cosmetics. So it was really fun for me to like, really like, no, be, yes. you know, like silly not silly. Well, we get into all that. Let's just listen to the interview. All righty. I'm excited. I know. Me too. I feel like woefully under moisturized. For- well, I am well moisturized because I gave myself a reaction last night using a product that made me have a allergic reaction. Oh, really? Yeah. I mean, like the brand already spoke out about it. I didn't like talk about it on social, but I basically put on a face mask Within 35 seconds, my skin was insanely red and burning. And I was like, okay, this isn't right. I washed it off. As I washed it off, it didn't really subside. So then I just put a cold compress on my face. Didn't help it at all. And I Googled the mask uh, in question. And I saw that they'd recalled a batch because people had been having the same reaction. And so, I mean, I would hate to be that lab. That's all I'm going to say. And the brand, but the brand did the right thing. They just was like, obviously, of course, we'll fix it and like, you know, give you money back and reformulate and make sure this never happens again. (laughs) We'll we'll fix your face. (laughs) Like 35 seconds, though. Like if people left it on longer, I gosh, I don't even know. So was this just like a mask that you had sitting around in the... I just had it sitting around from a PR package and I was like, I'll try this. I haven't tried it for a while, so I'll give it a go. So what is your storage situation like? I imagine you probably Uh, have more beauty products than like your average Sephora? (laughs) I have like two shelving units to the right of me, which have like trays very categorized as like, you know, there's a cream eyeshadow tray, there's a glitter eyeshadow tray, there's a blush tray, you know, and so on and so forth. And then to the left of me, there's cabinets and I've got like all my skincare stashed in there, but I kind of need to do a big purge and get rid of everything and kind of just request from PR or just shop for bits that I know that I like and want to use because it just gets ridiculous the amount of stuff that gets sent out. It's crazy. Are people still like I, people that have listened to this podcast from the beginning know that I bitch and moan all the time about brands and PR packages not being sustainable and oh yeah, like the ones with the little TV screens inside. I'm like, what are you? Oh yeah. I haven't had one for a while. I haven't had one of those for a long time. The ones that are still a bit obnoxious are like the ones that come with the mini fridge and you're just a bit, they're not obnoxious. They're actually useful in some ways. Like if you go on road trips or if you've got, you know, friends and family, they're a giftable item. The ones that kind of drive me insane and it's a small one is like, there's a brand that sends always crinkly paper, but then amongst that crinkly paper is a bunch of glittery crinkly paper that you know is not recyclable. I'm like, how can I recycle this silver bright, silver bright gold paper? And it makes me not want to talk about the PR mailer because I'm just like, why are you doing this? Like, just put some accordion paper, you know, the stuff that's like still attached and it's not a mess all over the place. Is a lot of work that goes into packages and how to really get rid of it all. I just got, I don't get a ton anymore because, you know, Beauty brands also like haven't really scratched the surface of the podcast game, I feel like. They don't really know that right, like there's people right, doing this kind right. of thing. But I got a package today and it was a cooler. I was like, what, 
what is this? It had like weird branding on the outside and I opened it. It looked like a scene out of Breaking oh Bad. It was like, like, you know, those cold, they look like little meth pipes kind of. It's like the round oh, glass yeah, yeah, and yeah. the blue yeah. water inside and you put yep. it in the freezer. I think at one point yeah. it had those in it, but they had both yep. shattered. And so, um, so I opened this like cooler and it has like glass wet, broken shards of glass everywhere. It's like bright blue. Oh, anyway, that's the worst. Yeah, something has to change because it's like, also like what you're saying, not every product can work for you. And like, you're, there's just one of you. No, you know, there's a PR agency in New York called Foundation. They DM you now, email you, sorry. Mm -hmm. I say DM, it's like my word for everything. But like they email you and like, hey, XYZ PR mailer is coming out. Let us know if you want it. Yeah. They do it, Tom Ford do it. A bunch of brands are doing it, which I actually really appreciate because then you can just say, actually, I don't really like that kind of product. Yeah. I don't really use it. So I don't really want to have to deal with figuring out who to give it to or what to do with the garbage. I guess, okay, so DM reminds me, that's how we met. Oh, yeah. I think it may have been 2017 or 2018, and I just remember you sliding into my DMs being like, hey, I love your work. I would love to talk to you about some stuff. And, yeah, then I came in and we met and hung out. Yeah, it had to have been before then, though. Oh, maybe it was before 2017. Maybe it was 2016. Because you were, like, one of the first people on Instagram that was actually doing, like, dewy skin. That's very nice of you to say. <laughs> <laughs> it is actually a huge compliment. I like to I try to, it is. And I just like to try to be modest because you just never know who did something first or who does. You know, there's so many of us. That I think. No, I think that like you're squarely that person. I think everybody can agree. But no, because I remember at the time we were still at Glossier, like we were still getting like comments incessantly being like, she's shiny. She's shiny. Like, like, <laughs> like, why are you guys posting photos of shiny girls? And, yep. I, and I was like, no, yep. no, no. It's like, she's moisturized. It's like, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're just not there yet. Yeah, but you you were there. I was like, oh, shit. Like, this is a makeup artist that also uses color products and does, like, right. glam looks with dewy. Fresh skin. skin. Yeah. You were the first. That's I'll sweet. say it. You don't have to. It was something that, like, you're nice. You know, being brought up in the industry of fashion and assisting and being on set and you're taught how to do skin first and everything else comes after that. And like, if you're on set with a makeup artist assisting at a show or assisting on a job and you do heavy beat, beat skin with loads of contouring and loads of powder and loads of baking, you're just going to get asked to take it all off. So, you know, there's a few things that kind of stayed with me throughout the learning of becoming a makeup artist. And it was that. And it was also, you know, there was a statement that I heard that Mr. Shiramara had once said that was like, it's much harder to do makeup on a man than it is on a woman. Because if it's on a gentleman and it's just for men's grooming, for example, it's not supposed to look like it's there. So it's like to do that and make it look invisible is harder than it is to put makeup on a woman. Because obviously, if you're doing glam on a woman, maybe that we're in a different time now, though, obviously, where it's like embrace and boys and girls and people everywhere wearing makeup in the boldest way. And I'm absolutely here for it. I just think that statement stuck with me for a, in a way, just in the way of like how to apply makeup in the fashion space. That's interesting. Because you can always go more. You know, I think that that's a stylistic thing and it's a trend thing. I think you can always keep adding more. It's sometimes harder to apply less. What I'm trying to make the point of is it's harder to make makeup look invisible, even if you've got a lot on. Yeah. And I think that that's something that stuck with me. And that's why then I wanted to come onto the scene of Instagram where I felt like it was a heavy saturation of, you know, heavier makeup, which I even feel like the people that used to do that kind of style of makeup back then have even evolved out of that now, because I just think the evolution of, you know, makeup style and trends on Instagram or on social media, it has evolved because you grow through it. You age out of it, you know? Yeah. And the products too have gotten way more nuanced. Totally. Like you can. Yes. And formula. <laughs> yeah. Right. There's like not just like a moisturizing foundation and a matte foundation and then like one that also right. treats your acne. Right. Now there's like, right. you know, right. watery. Oh my God. I had, I got the best. Have you tried that brand typology yet? Yes. Oh my God. I love their cotton rounds. They're like satin velvet. They're amazing. Their serum tint is really, really, really good. It's like a foundation. It's like basically skin tint, like glossy skin tint, okay. but like yeah. okay. 30% more coverage. Wow, I want to try it. The biggest learning curve for me with like just doing my own makeup, not professionally, <laughs> but like putting so much makeup on, if I was really trying to like cover something, that was never like the way. It never improved the texture of your skin. It just kind of right. creates yeah. a different one. <laughs> totally, totally. It's true. Yeah, and I think that was the thing and like being able to teach people – you know, from all different age groups and with all these different stylistic goals, 
this is another way to do your foundation. It doesn't all have to be like what you only see pretty much on Instagram. You know, I think that back when I first got onto Instagram, it was like that, that was the differentiating part of the style and aesthetic that I was sort of, you know, posting the most of back then was just showing neither was the right or wrong way. I used to kind of do this thing that I would like paint my face half very, very Instagram-y, kind of heavier, and then half really fresh and editorial, just to kind of more of as a social experiment to see which I do like more, genuinely. Not There's no right or wrong answer here. I'm not trying to like create a side or create a division. Mm. I'm just trying to show you that, you know, you can also do this and it looks nice too. You don't have to do a full coverage foundation. And if you do like a full coverage foundation, that's fine. Mm-hmm. I like a full coverage like beat every now and again, like for sure, always. I think it just depends on what you're doing or where you're going or how you're feeling that day. What's your favorite full coverage foundation? At the moment, I think I would say it's the Shiseido Synchro Skin Self-Refreshing. It's just crazy. How do you roll a name like that off the tongue? That was so casual. Because it's right, it's right there. Oh, okay. It's yeah. right here and I was using it. But like, I'm obviously the listeners can't see this, but like it kind of just goes on like satin. Oh, wow. And just looks like skin, but also covers, like which is my kind of favorite thing in a foundation. And I think you'll find a lot of makeup artists love this formula because of that. It is quite hard to remove from a brush, which I think tells me that it's got like maybe a bit of silicones in it. That doesn't bother me at all, but it's just more of an interesting, it's something that you notice, but it's an amazing foundation. I love that product placement. That was your brush, wasn't it? My brush, yes. My brushes, I'm excited. They're coming back in two months. Yeah, I'm a complexion freak. I love complexion. Yeah. And like, honestly, my favorite sheer product is stretch concealer. There's nothing like it. There's nothing like it. Really? No, nothing. I mean, I would say the closest thing would be like your RMS, but Glossier Stretch feels like it's got more coverage, a little bit, or something. I don't know. I don't know what I'd consider the difference. Maybe you'd be able to speak more to what the two differences with the two are. But what I love about Stretch is, Stretch is my go-to complexion product, almost as my tinted moisturizer on everyone. So now that there's obviously 12 shades, I whip it out of my kit. I start by like shade matching whoever it is that's in my chair. I put that sheerly over their entire face. And then I just go in with something a bit more full coverage just around the nose, eyes and the mouth. And it's my favorite way to prep skin. I love how like there was like a trade-off where like I know more about Glossier and then we like work together there. And then now you like know, I had no idea there's 12 shades now. That's so funny. (laughs) That's good. I feel like stretch concealer is more like blendable. Like you don't have to like gingerly tap it on and like warm it up. You can just kind of like slap it on. Okay. So you, I'm going to tell you stuff you already know, but this is for the readers who we call our listeners. You basically have built this huge following of people that were like, oh, this is something different. I like this. Her skin just looks really good. And you don't use filters. You don't like cake on makeup. And I think like people were really hungry for that. And, you know, meanwhile, your DMs are exploding. People are leaving comments asking you for, you know, to tell them how to live their life basically in terms of beauty. What do you think was the biggest learning curve for people when they're coming to you wanting this dewy, fresh skin, pores and all look? People have to do it to learn how to do it. They can watch me do it over and over and over and over and over again. But until they actually go out and like do it on themselves, and it sounds a bit strange to say that, but it really, how I do it on me is going to be a bit different to how you do it on you because we have different skin and we have probably different needs of what our skin wants and takes and sits well. So it's like with eyeliner too, it's like you have to be doing it to get good at it. Otherwise you won't get good at it. So I say that always, because that's the thing. I think you watch something and I think that's the catharsis behind content on Instagram. You can watch it and they'll all of a sudden be like, wow, she made that look so easy. I'm going to be able to do that really easily. But then you never actually do it sometimes because you're just like, oh, I can do that now. Great. Cool. And then you forget. I'm like that in the kitchen. When I watch somebody cook on Instagram or on some content, I'm like, oh, wow, that looks really great. And then I come do it and I'm like, okay, that was not the way yeah. that was you know you get like everything dirty <laughs> like, yeah just getting it just getting stuck in and doing it and learning from your mistakes along the way kind of and then coming to me with questions I like I, I welcome people sliding into my dms and being like hey I want to do this I want to try this like what do you suggest but I also need a bit of information up front as well there's a lot of vague questions sometimes like what's the best foundation <laughs> I'm like well what's your skin type what kind of foundation do you like the look of like there's a lot more that goes into it so yeah it's funny but you also like for the look that people want from you is you kind of have to know all about like the skincare side of things too and like what skincare products you're using and like what textures those right. are and like what ingredients those are and how to layer them 
Right. I definitely don't consider myself a skincare expert, but I consider myself a person who knows how to prep skin for makeup. So I like to educate people on how to get the skin flake-free pre-makeup, how to get the most long-lasting effect out of your complexion products from the skincare steps from before the foundation. Because like if you put skin food from Willada underneath a stretch concealer or underneath a Kosas oil and you're already oily, oh my God, forget it. Your makeup's going to last you 15 seconds. There's a lot of variables. You have to consider a lot of different textures sitting on top of other textures and are they going to mesh well together? It's a little bit like science. Yeah. When I do put on makeup now, I'll sit for like an hour because, you know, where am, nice. where am I going? Yeah. Um, <laughs> but I just, I don't have time for skincare. I don't even have time to eat yeah. properly. I like don't have time to work out. It's like makeup for me is just like, it's fun. Catharsis. Yeah. And it's your, it's your relaxation. Yeah. yeah totally. Like people are like, oh, right. I, I love doing like spa day Sunday and like doing like a 12 step thing. No, I don't do that either. No, same. I don't do that either. I do wear SPF if I'm going to go outside of the house. Like we have no natural light in our apartment. So I'm like, I'm okay to not wear SPF daily. But I think if you're going to go in the sun, it's important obviously to encourage people to do it. But I think each to our own, we each do what we do for ourselves and that's fine too. There's a lot of energy on social media. If I don't use SPF, I get a few people sliding in just being like, you need to show people that you should be using SPF. And I'm like, of course you should be using SPF. Like it goes out, that's like saying that you should drink water. Like guys, don't forget to drink water. Like if you want to wear SPF, you should wear SPF. But I feel like the SPF I, I thing know. though, like there is so much shaming happening online with it. I know I keep talking about Glossier, but the Glossier SPF is one of my favorites for under makeup because yeah. it never interferes yeah, with my makeup. I know. Ever. So good. <laughs> Except for the bottle, the bottle doesn't last five minutes. Like I think I, if I'm when using I, the- Tell rec- them tell them to fix it. I know, there needs to be a big bottle. I know. Do I need to slide there back into to, this? Yeah. Yeah, you do. You do. You do. Okay. So what, what should we talk about next? Like, can you give me a hint about what you're working on? So, okay. Last week I launched a brush collection with Spectrum Collections where we did like a 25 piece brush set and sold out in two and a half hours. Super cool. Really stoked. Like it's amazing. It's coming back in May. Can't wait. I'll send you a set. It's really, really, I'm really proud of it. It was such a curated process where they really let me have like the most control of what I wanted all these brushes to be like because I've never collaborated with the makeup artist before. They knew that there would be a bit of a difference of style with these tools. Like, for example, we've got like a really long nail art brush inspired eyeliner tool. So like this is the nail art style brush that is like really great for doing just like a really thin wing at the end of your eye, like that kind of fox eye type shape. With what, like a powder? Like a powder mixed with like a water type of concoction. Because do people know, I don't know how like much you tell your followers your whole backstory, but you started in nail. Yeah, I started as a nail technician back when I was 17. I worked in a nail shop in my hometown. Uh, learned how to do acrylics and do manicures and stuff and then moved down south to London and basically worked my way up kind of doing nails on my own on my own jobs as well as doing assisting on the side so it was like it was a weird situation because makeup artists would learn oh get that nail girl to assist me because then she could do nails if there's no manicurist on set because that was something that used to get asked of makeup artists which is wild and so you know it was a weird just casually applying lipstick while I'm on a podcast because you know how she do. You know, um, there's no video. I just, I, I, know, I know, I know, I totally know. <laughs> I just thought my lips looked dull and I thought it I was. It looks good. It's like a corally, like. You like these, I think. You're a Chanel girl. These are the Rouge Le Lac in continuous. It's very nice. No, I don't have that one. Yeah, I studied as nails. So, you know, some of the nail art brushes that I used to concoct and like mess with, I would cut them and like tweak them and be able to make thinner lines. And, and then I ended up trans- transitioning through to makeup completely. So yeah, the brushes are out there coming back in May. We'll be excited to see how they sell through again in May or what happens then. But as far as something on my own, on my own, I was sort of said, oh, there's already so much products on the market. It's a very oversaturated market, which it is. It absolutely is. And, you know, I, I working with PD in different roles, like how I worked with you a little bit while you were at Glossier and, you know, different roles where I've like weighed in and had an opinion. You know, I feel like there's often this, a few things happen from a PD standpoint or from a lab standpoint to a brand standpoint. I often see a lot of, and I guess this is where then the trajectory in my mind changed about like how, what gives me the comfort to be able to say, okay, I think I could do my own thing. A lot of the times I feel like a lot of brands will bring out similar formulas around a similar time. And I think that that could sometimes be down to the manufacturers and the labs basically saying, okay, let's send out this new innovative formula that we're working on in the lip category to this brand, this brand, this brand, this brand, and then a bunch of brands jump on it at the same time and end up launching the same kind of thing, which I think is like 
kind of like, all right, whatever. It's you, you're shopping the brand more so than the product usually anyway. That's a good point. People think that like all brands go to a lab and they're like, okay, let's start from scratch. Like, Which sometimes it does. Yes, of course. Yeah, yeah, totally, totally. But like, I don't think people understand the other side of it always where labs will like they make products on their own. Right, which is also yeah. fine. It's just another way. But I see it happening so much. And also, you know, for me, I as a makeup artist, I would love to develop products that I would want other makeup artists to be proud of and that I can really educate with. And so I then came back to kind of this, came back to the drawing board. and was like, okay, if I was going to do something, what would it be? And honestly, like without spilling too much, I want education to be the biggest pillar of the brand and that to be what you're really, in a sense, buying. You're buying the education, but you get product. So it's probably has something to do with what most people are asking you to be like educated about. Yeah, kind of, yeah, kind of. I mean, there'll be different products launching. Like I've already got my first three products sort of slated in my head, but uh, it, it's more a, it's more just I feel like a lot of brands, and I think that it's I, I'm also not super protective about talking about this either because I think we all there's plenty of room for everybody at the table. There's plenty of room for all all brands to exist and so on and so forth. And you know, it, it, education is something that I think brands really miss the mark on because I think they show more of a mood and a vibe and a goal. And it, yeah, they're doing that because their products are so easy to use more often than not. I'm kind of making my products a little bit harder to use and a little bit more like you have to cocktail things to get where you want to be. But also that gives you more versatility in the long run, as well as then the education to go with it. So it's almost threefold. But I'm like working on the formula of the first product with the lab and figuring out what it's hard. It's really hard to decide what you want the brand name to be and like what the identity of this brand is and like how to be sustainable and how to make sure that you're, you know, doing all the right things. It's a lot. But, I'm, but it's exciting. Is that the stage that you're at now? Yeah, I've kind of nailed down the formula that I like. Naming is still TBD. I'll tell you later what I like, kind of <laughs> like as the name. But I don't want it to be Katie Jane Hughes brand. Like, that's not that's not me. I don't think that would. It's the people's. It's their. It's your. It's theirs. It's for them. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. I'm not that makeup artist that wants to put my name on everything. It's funny, too, because it's like skin is not just the only thing that you're known for. It's like you started this like whole like diffused glossy eye thing but not like the greasy eye it wasn't like that moment in time like it is like I think you do very much own that the like that's sweet I definitely didn't start it I definitely well, didn't no, start it I, mean, I can't like, take credit for that no, but I but no I know what you're saying I showed people how exactly. to do it and I like made it wearable yeah and, like, and I think that you are that perfect bridge between this like editorial approach to makeup that right which I like youtubers and like you know this whole like glam like again not knocking that that is a look and it is it, it serves yeah. a different purpose yeah and I and we all love to rock that look sometimes but it might not be everybody's every day every day yeah and then like there's that more editorial brands but they're like selling this like very paint by numbers like literally here's a face chart and kind of like go right, from there right, but right. I think you really hit everything at the right time with like these digital tools that allow you to connect with people and explain the nuances and products and like also to just your personality I'm like just amazed by like your energy being able to like immediately respond to DMs. And also too, like you're like a bazillionaire in terms of followers and I'm like a nobody, but like, and I still get overwhelmed with people like, and you're just on there, like, you know, like giving people every, all of you. And I think that that's like, I don't know. It's just really special. I'm just, I, I was actually shocked that like, like I've checked in with you, like, you know, over the years since we stopped working together so much at Glossier and then like when I left and it, I was just always surprised, like when, how are brands not like, where's like the Katie Jane Hughes collection for like, I don't know, any brand out there that does that kind of thing. But obviously there's definitely been conversations and yeah. more often than not, they kind of fall through just because something might not be right here or there or whatever. And I think whatever it is that I do, I just want it to be authentic and I want it to be fun and cool and real and enjoyable. That was deep. That was deep. Is deep. People always like, that's like Nick and I say with the podcast, it's like we want to try to like cover beauty from like, I don't know. It is fun and it's like stupid, but like it's not so sports and so is like a lot of stuff that right. people are really right. into. And, right. you know, also it's a bazillion dollar industry and you oh can't my knock gosh, that. Crazy. And, Wait, what do you think about Becca closing? Like how sad is that? Isn't that weird? Like you probably I mean, are still getting so... their PR packages. Like I was, so... I actually did. I had a PR package from them a month ago, and I'm like, wait, what now? I, I mean, I'm more set. I'm so. It's funny because obviously, Shimmering Skin Perfector, the liquid, is one of my favorite, favorite, favorite liquid highlighters in the world, and I think it's probably the bench for most PD teams in a brand when they send a benchmark to a brand. Like, hey, we really like this, but why don't we, you know, do this version on it or do a similar texture to this with a bit more whatever. 
Which is shocking because I, I, I'm just, I'm just gobsmacked. Oh yeah, it was. That was what we, I think that we were looking at that for the what, Nightshine. Uh, yeah, we like sampled that and we were like, okay, let's do this. But we wanted it to be more long wear. Cover effects. And cover yeah. effects the drops. Yeah, it was like a hybrid. Yeah, you said, and that's another thing that people probably don't know about the industry. Like all of the labs will ask you for a benchmark, something to go off. Like, okay, what kind of, what's your favorite highlighter? And then like, how do we want to make a version of it that's not the same and that's different? Because obviously you need to make it different because then what's the point in just making the same thing, right? It already exists. So I, I think that that's something that's really interesting to talk about. But yeah, it's the, the most amazing highlighter and it's gotten RIP. But I know who manufactures it, so we'll see. We'll see what happens there. Hey. Wow. <laughs> I, I know, and like the Medina stick too, I'm like... Oh, did, yeah, did, I know. Did, did Pat just, like, make her version of that? I don't really know well, how you that can, went down. You, and you can bring the Becca one back from the dead. I might bring the Becca one back from the dead. Did the Medina one go away completely? No, I saw somebody saying that, like, you can only get it in Italy, but don't quote me You can only get it in Italy. You can only get it in Italy, I think. But I don't know whether it's gone, gone. But then I, I never did the shows in Italy. The only reason why you would ever get the Medina stick is if you're a makeup artist or if you travel to Italy all the time. And you basically do the shows in Milan. You would always come back with seven sticks for your mates. Like my friend Fatima once uh, was there and I was like, I really want to try it. Can you bring me some back? So she brought me some back. And um, it's cool. It's nice. But yeah, I mean, it's a stick highlighter. There's so many of them on the market. It's, they're all, they're all, there's a lot of, there's a lot of similarities between them, but there's also a lot of differences. Like I think you have to have a bit of a trained eye to be able to understand the differences between a lot of products that one might deem as the same. Like, for example, there's this new brand on the market called Auric, and she has this really cool glow, serum rich, textured kind of. I would consider it a hybrid between a tinted moisturizer and an illuminator. It's very similar to Charlotte Tilbury Hollywood Flawless Filter in the sense of the finish and the texture. But hers, the Auric one from Samantha, the Canadian YouTuber, hers is much more balmy. And I actually DM'd her and I was like, hey, people are asking me if this is similar to Charlotte. Like, I actually just want to get your opinion before I say what I think I would just love to know from and she said it is actually a little similar she said everything that was different about it that I also agreed with and then it was just you know I like to make sure I'm telling the message the right way when I'm talking about somebody's products god your ethics are out of control I sense a touch song no that's not no that wasn't <laughs> Katie when am I ever sarcastic with I'm just, you? Uh, I'm like your biggest uh, yeah, fan. Sarcastic. No, Aww. I'm being serious. Beauty too, especially makeup can be, well, no, actually skincare now too. It can be so catty and I feel like you're just like, yeah, yeah. you're like yeah. a good guy. It's funny. It's like, that's the thing about Instagram that I find interesting and I don't, I don't hate on it at all. It's just interesting how people assume when you're on the internet and you work a little bit in the Instagram space, that you're a bit of a know-all, see-all, your eyes and ears are everywhere and you know everything. It's like, if something happens about a brand, let's say a brand might be on Diet Prada for something and I'll have spoken about that brand that day but I have not seen that diet product article so people will come to you and say I can't believe you're talking about this brand like how dare <laughs> how you dare. what are you doing and I'm like what are you talking about I don't know anything about this like tell me and I will always take a step back and say okay yeah that's not cool like let's just see what's going to happen here or I'll reach out to the brand myself and say hey what are you going to do here this isn't okay like it's important that we all give each other a little bit more slack I think these days when it's something that maybe somebody might not already know about you know yeah one of my you just don't know you know whether or not I agreed with it at the time and still kind of <laughs> wonder about it was like an old boss of mine I remember things were like really heated about something I have no idea what it was but she was just like it's just makeup in a sense yes yep. like for all the reasons this said yep. before no like it is like a billion dollar industry and like it is our livelihood and we care so much but like right. the inverse is also true right so yeah it's tough it's this is such a weird I think it's industry. the intention <laughs> I know it is I think it's the intention that you put behind stuff too and how you deal with it it's like when a brand might mess up for not being inclusive for example it's like how do you deal with that how does that brand bounce back from that and what does that brand do therefore to make better of a situation and I think that's what you've got to judge people on yeah it's kind of like a, the wild wild west and like especially in the beauty space I think people because it has so much to do with your self-identity and how you yeah. present yourself to the world that it is a very emotional thing and that I it's probably why a lot of these conversations get so heated even though you right. on the surface it's like this is lip gloss and glitter <laughs> you know whatever right but right. yeah not to get too philosophical about it well if you're free on Friday maybe we could do like a Instagram live and you can teach <gasps> sure me and you can teach me no. You can teach me how you do your eyeliner because the way you do your eyeliner is really specific. Wait, which one? Oh, like the, the one that's cut. Kind of, it goes a little. Wait, well, like what? What were you going to say? On the inside? 
the like little no you kind of like I like the shape that you create you create a shape on the outer corner that doesn't necessarily go up toward the tail of your brow but it doesn't really go down either it kind of just flows very beautifully organically with your eye and I love how you do your liner I love how you do your makeup period like I think the way you do your makeup's awesome why did why do you look so shocked? I'm just glad this is recorded. <laughs> so I, can listen I mean, to you it. do. You do your makeup so good. I was like, I think when play was developing, we were like, I just remember looking at all of the posts that you were posting with product that I knew that was coming. And I was like, oh my God, look at her go with that glitter and those color slides and the, the vanilla lips and stuff. Oh, it was cool. I know. It was such like a. It was a fun time. Ugh. That was a very fun, colorful, glittery time. R.I.P. Glitter Jolet. I know. <laughs> I won't keep you any longer because I can do this all day with you. I know. And I'm sad that I can't do this all day with you every day. I know. That would be but nice. I guess people kind of can because you kind of are not every day. You do, I, you do have I a life. I think I'm accessible. You do have a life outside of Instagram. But you, you are prolific in your content creation. And so people can get a lot of you if they so choose. They can. At Katie Jane Hughes on Instagram. Yep, I'm accessible. <laughs> so it is product of the week time. I already kind of gave you my product of the week at the top of the show, which is the Gosh Darn Snoo. It is by a company called Happiest Baby. And it's expensive. The Snoo is expensive. It's over $1,000, which is a ton of money to spend on a product that your baby will use for less than one year. However, you can rent it. They have a rental program for... That's smart. I love that. Yeah. You can rent the Snoo at happiestbaby.com. You can rent it. You can buy it if you're going to have multiple kids. It is $1,500 to buy but to rent, you're going to get a snoo for $129 a month. So you can just use it for the months that you have baby in the snoo. You can also, I bet, get one on Facebook Marketplace. But I recommend not doing that with products like this, which have lots of rules and regulations around their production and maintenance. And I think it's also funny, you know, like you can kind of sniff your nose at how much a lot of these baby things cost. And then you have a baby and you're like anything for a few more hours of sleep, uninterrupted sleep and sort of the anxiety to be decreased or diminished. So the snoo is my project of the week. Bless you, snoo. Nick, do you see who this special guest is behind me? We have none other than Alicia Bansall behind you. I thought this week, rather than give my own product of the week, Alicia has one that she loves. So I think like, I'm just going to kick it over to Alicia. Hi, Nick. Hi, How Alicia. are you? I'm good. What do you got for us? So my product of the week is Hyper Skins Vitamin C Serum. And I've tried so many vitamin C serums and I have like a darker skin tone. What are you looking for in a vitamin C serum? For me, it's for like fading spots and like that sort of like antioxidant defense in the morning, but I want my spots to go away. And this vitamin C serum has kojic acid, licorice root extract, and sort of all those things that fade acne scars. And I also think it's really cool because it's founded by a black woman. And I feel like she had darker skin tones in mind creating this vitamin C and I remember the episode with LA Beautyologist, and she talked about vitamin C serums on darker skin tones. So I thought that was sort of a nice little tip about dark skin and vitamin C is that you do need those other ingredients in it. To boost the fading power. Yeah. And so where can you buy it and how much does it cost? You can buy it either on the website. I think it's like gethyperskin.com, but they also sell it on Urban Outfitters. So a hot beauty tip is Urban Outfitters has sales and it's $36. There you go. It does it hurt to put like no, a lot of vitamin C doesn't hurt. kind of sting? No, it doesn't hurt. How many times a week do you use it? I try to use it every morning, but like I'm lazy. So maybe a couple times a week. When do you see results? It's been helping with my mask knee a lot. Like even like I started using it again and after a week I was like, oh, they're going away. Okay. I'm going to... Get this. I love, I'm a vitamin C serum junkie. So you've convinced me. Cool. Thanks, Alicia. And where can we find you on Instagram? 
Oh, you can find me at alicia.b1. It's a very strange Instagram handle, but also I help Annie and Nick with the pod. Yes. So you can find her at eyewitnessbeauty on Instagram, eyewitnessbeauty with the letter I on Twitter, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Annie, should we do our credits? I think we've taken enough of everyone's time. Okay. That's it for this week's episode of Eyewitness Beauty. Thank you so very much for listening. Hi, it's me again, Annie. Please remember to rate, review, and subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts. You can follow us on Instagram at eyewitnessbeauty, and you can email us at hi at eyewitnessbeauty.com. And we should also say we're just Nick and Annie. Nick for me, Annie for you at eyewitnessbeauty.com if you want to get to us directly. Eyewitness Beauty is produced by Jessamyn Molly of Seaplane Armada. Our art is by Simon Abronowitz, and our theme music is by Danny Prezant. Research assistance is provided by, now you know how lovely she is, Alicia Bansall. We will be back next week with another brand new episode, so we'll talk with you then. Oh, remember, if you are a reader and you have a favorite product, send it over to us. Tell us why you like it. Tell us a little bit about yourself so people like you will maybe like it too. Don't you dare call yourself normal. You're not ordinary. You're extraordinary. Talk to you later. Ciao, ciao.